Hello, everybody. This is the Business Transformation Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 28th, 2019. Having a great day so far. Really excited to get on the mic and do a little bit of talking and hopefully share some cool and interesting and entertaining things for you, some thought, some thought-provoking things with you. Um, <clears throat> first of all, I got my father-in-law in town, and I mentioned on a previous podcast, this guy can talk, and he's super funny, and he has a whole bunch of good jokes. And I thought it would be fun to tell you one of these jokes he told me. So you tell me if you like this. This is the kind of joke that he tells, and I would say this is actually a pretty typical Peruvian joke as well. He tells it in Spanish, but I'll, I'll translate it roughly in English. So there once was a kingdom, and in the king's court, there was a guy named Bertolo. And Bertolo was sort of a mischief maker, a troublemaker. And he never did what the king wanted him to do. He's always outsmarting the king. So one day, a whole bunch of people were visiting the king. And as you're supposed to do to show respect, they all bowed their head to the king. Hello, my hello, my lord. Hello, your, your royal highness. They're all bowing their heads, except for Bertolo. Before they all went in there, Bertolo told everybody, I'm not going to bow my head. I'll just wave at him or whatever, but I'm not going to bow my head to him. So they walk by, nobody's bowing their head, bowing their head, except for Bertolo, who just kind of walks by, head up, and just um, waves at the king. And the king is grumbling to himself, oh, Bertolo, I hate that guy. But, you know, whatever, he's from an aristocratic family, so I have to let him be in my court, but he's always giving me a hard time. I know what I'm going to do. So the king hatches a plan. He decides that to the entrance to his court, he's going to build a super short door. And that way, anybody who walks through is going to have to bend down when they walk through the door. <laughs> ah, this is the king's grand plan. They're going to have to bend down when they walk through the door. And he's going to stand right next to the door. And when Bartolo walks through the door, um, the king's going to go, ha ha, I knew I could make you bow to me in your face, Bartolo. So he's standing right there. But Bartolo, because he's, you know, he's smart. He is always outwitting the king. He walks up and he sees the door and he realizes hey, something's not right about this. He's trying to make me bend down. So he turns around and he goes in butt first. <laughs> and the king goes, ah, Bertolo. And my father-in-law does that standing up. And he uh, he shows how he backs in and he gives the king the butt view first and doesn't give him the satisfaction. So that's cool. And I love having my father-in-law around and um, we're, having, we're having a good time. Um, another thing, I recorded a podcast with my mom yesterday my mom is in her 70s and she's having her best business year ever. And I'm going to come back to this, but just wanted to note that if you get around to listening to that, the audio quality is terrible. That was my first time ever trying to do a like a distance podcast recording on the phone. And um, it didn't work that well, which is a shame because there's some cool stuff in there. Uh, my mom is a really interesting character. And for anybody who maybe thinks they're, they're too old to get started or... Maybe they don't have the background or they just they don't they don't know if they're going to make it. My mom has been been grinding out in her business career for over 40 years. And she was saying she didn't even really learn how to be good at business until like five years ago. She just has been grinding and grinding, paying the bills, hanging in there. And now she's she's having her best year ever. And I'm, I do her accounting. So I know I can I can attest to the fact that my mom is absolutely crushing it. So hopefully you won't let the terrible audio quality keep you from giving a listen to that. And then at some point in the future, I'm going to get her back on the podcast and we'll re-record something. Tomorrow, I'm going to have um, someone named Chris Newer come on and she's a business broker. I had a great conversation with her off the air about 
all, all sorts of things having to do with selling your business. We had a handful of clients that want to sell their business. And I was always, I've always been curious about what the market valuation is right now. I know a lot of business owners are looking for 10 times EBITDA. And she told me that that is wildly optimistic. And the market right now is usually two to four times EBITDA. So if you're going to be trying to, and EBITDA is earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. So if you're thinking you're going to sell your business for 10 times, um, basically net income or EBITDA, then that's that's not what the market is right now. It's two to four times. So just beware that if you're counting on that, then that, that's probably not going to happen. The valuations are much, much lower. The last thing that I wanted to share is I was watching and watched part of it and then listened to part of a, an interview with Warren Buffett. It's like a Yahoo Finance interview. And he was talking about the economic outlook for 2019 and a whole bunch of other stuff. But one thing that he mentioned that, that caught my attention, he was talking about the fact that in a capitalist economy, which the United States is, the capitalist economy is, is almost magically productive. It produces so much wealth that um, we almost we, we don't know what to do with all the wealth. It's, it's insane. Like we're overflowing with stuff and production so much so that we have all these huge storage buildings just to keep the stuff that we have that we can't keep in our house. We don't have room for it, but we don't want to throw away. So we're building huge structures just to house stuff. This is not what Warren, Warren Buffett said. This is my own observation. But what he mentioned was that the people who make a lot of money in, in a capitalist society are the people who are super good at, at being capitalists, who are super good at selling things to, to people, selling, selling to people what they want. Uh, in large quantities. That's the people who make it in a capitalist economy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that the people who really make it and make it big, in fact, the point he was making is that it normally won't be the case, that the people who make it really big are not necessarily the world's best people. And I think for a lot of business owners or people like me who really idolize entrepreneurs, the entrepreneurs that I'm idolizing are people who are also very conscientious. They're good people. They're into self-improvement. And they also make a lot of money by producing a lot of value for the world. But just a, an interesting thing that Warren Buffett said was, you know, you might have some of your kids, some who really make it and some who don't make a lot of money. And you might want to leave some money to your kids who don't make it because just because just they don't make a lot of money doesn't mean they're bad, they're bad or lazy. In fact, it could be quite the opposite. The people that don't make a lot of money might actually be the best person you've ever met. They're just not super good at doing what the capitalist system asks of them, which is to come up with super efficient productions to sell a whole bunch of stuff to people. Um, so that was good. That was a, a good thing for me to hear because I think for me, I've always attached a lot of self-worth to what to whatever was going on with, with my business and how much money I was making. I can honestly admit that. Um, so during the time when I just was a, a practitioner and I was doing pretty, for me at the time, what I thought was very good living. I felt I felt really great because I knew that I was making more money than I had ever made before. I was supporting my family. I was saving. I bought a house. We always had enough money to go around. We traveled some, and I felt really great about great about that. And as I've transitioned into not being a practitioner, but actually being a businessman, no, there's a difference between a practitioner and a businessman. My business career is only a couple of years long, but I've been a business owner, or it's actually more like a year and a half long. But I've been a business owner for seven years. Um, and I'm not, I'm not 
doing as well as I used to do financially because I've had to invest so much money in infrastructure um, and hiring people and I'm rolling my money back out into things like training and I'm going to start spending money on marketing and all that stuff will pay off in the long run. But in the short term, it doesn't feel necessarily like success. And especially when you you get into reading books and listening to podcasts and watching videos of a guy like Warren Buffett, who are super successful guys, it'll be very easy for you to say, well, these guys are so much more successful than me at business. Um, they're just better than me. I, I, could, I, I could see how that happens. Now, in my case, I have a solid self-esteem because I've always done the things that I had to do to, to be a good man. I'm honest. I don't cheat people. I love my wife. I don't cheat on her. I love my kids. I take care of them. I spend time with them. I play with them. You know, I'm a family man and I pay my employees a fair wage. I give them time off when they need off. Like I do a whole bunch of stuff that makes me know, hey, I'm a good dude. I'm a good dude. And I just got to remember that being a good dude is is separate from business success. That's something to, to keep in mind. Business success means that you achieve this big, super hard goal. Maybe something like running a marathon. You train for a marathon and you ran it and you did it. And that is a big achievement. But that's not to say that people who don't run marathons by default are bad people. It's just that <clears throat> you're, not going, you're not going after that goal. But you can still be a really great, great person who is charitable and shares and takes care of people and is real loving and wise. You could be a very wise person who reads a lot and knows a lot and gives people great advice. And you don't make a lot of money, but you're a great person. I'm sure, like, for example, there's tons of teachers as well who don't, don't just make tons and tons of money as school teachers, but they're great people who make a huge impact. So good reminder from Warren Buffett that just because you aren't, aren't some huge success in the capitalist system, that doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're a failure at all. So there's a few things. Now, the topic that I am going to be discussing today has to do with changing your business model. And I've told this story a couple of times on this podcast about um, the two businesses that I've saved personally that I helped go from $100,000 or $150,000 in losses to making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. I've done that a couple of times. I've seen my most successful clients go from they're already successful making many hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to making many millions of dollars a year. I'm watching a dude make three, four, five million. You probably going to make like four and a half million bucks this year. So I'm seeing that firsthand and more and more, I'm starting to realize that in order to start to achieve those heights, you have to be willing to revisit your business model and change it up. If you need to, I just had my mom on the podcast. I remember when my mom, first got into the business that she's in, which is producing video content for producing video content for things like sexual harassment training, workplace violence training, all types of HR issues, hiring and firing, etc. The initial idea that she had, and I actually helped her come, come up with this idea. And it was, a, it probably was a, was a valid idea, but we just didn't have enough money to fully, fully carry it out. But the original idea was that um, we were going to offer free harassment training to Fortune 500 companies. Here, just take it. And we were going to have it sponsored by other businesses who would want to sell into Fortune 500 companies. So we'll give away the content for free. It's like YouTube. You know, you give away the content for free and you make money, you make money selling the ad space. And I remember we got, I think somebody gave us, gave us 
fifty or sixty thousand dollars. I think it was fifty. I think it was fifty, and maybe my dad put in another twenty-five. So we ended up with about seventy-five thousand bucks, and we took we took a big part of that and, and filmed videos, and then we spent another part of that. YouTube didn't exist at the time, so it's not like you could easily host videos. So we needed a video hosting solution, and we had to find a vendor to do the learning management system where you can take the test and get a certificate and all this kind of stuff. So we spent all this money, and our idea was we're going to take this asset, give it away, and then make money on the advertising. And we actually did get an advertiser. The advertiser was, at the time, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf Coffee Shop. I don't know if they're still around, but in San Diego, they did some, some slight advertising for us and we were making progress, but we were running out of money. And me and my mom spent a lot of time together and we had big dreams and the investors who gave us some money, we also had big, we also had big dreams and what we were going to accomplish. And I stuck it out for a long time. I started substitute, I mean, a relatively long time. I got married when I was 21. So already at this point I had to bring home money and, and help support my family. My wife works, so we were a dual, dual income ho household at that point. But I started off making maybe like, I think maybe I made a thousand bucks a month. That's what I was making trying to build, build this project. And I stuck it out, I think, for maybe nine months or a year, just making a thousand bucks a month while my wife worked full time. And we tried to launch this product and we were getting some traction. I was just sitting at home selling all day, mostly just trying to call call Fortune, trying to work my way into Fortune 500 companies and get them to try to get on board with this free harassment training that was um, spo sponsored by advertisements. And I think we did get maybe 50 companies to sign up, but it wasn't enough. To, to, it wasn't enough to produce the ad revenue that we would have needed to add, um, that we would have needed to, to get on there in order to sustain it. So we, we were sticking it out with our dreams. So I think for the next year, maybe I... I started uh, substitute teaching. I started selling newspaper subscriptions out in front of grocery stores, just trying to hustle and put together a little bit of money on the side to complement my thousand bucks a month that I was making to be able to live a decent life in San Diego, California with my wife. And we were grinding, we were grinding, we were grinding, but then we got to the point where we totally ran out of the money and the company couldn't even afford to pay me the thousand bucks a month anymore. And I talked about it on the podcast with my mom at that point. My mom previously had a partner and they were just doing live training. And it went well, but then she got into this terrible legal battle with her partner that, that got dragged out and cost my mom a lot of money. And she has to sacrifice a lot of time um, fighting these, this court battle to try to own her intellectual property. That's what it was all about. And so we decided to take that intellectual property and film videos. But... So my mom jumped into this with me and once that money ran out and we were trying to work this business model of giving stuff away for free and making money on advertising, um, I had to go get a job and that's when I started working for the Department of Defense. I got, just got a straight office job making, you know, making like 40,000 bucks a year, but that, that was a lot better than the 16 or 1700 bucks I was making. And I remember when I first took that office job, I got my first paycheck. I took my wife out to dinner in a restaurant. We hadn't eaten dinner in a restaurant in like you know over a year and a half because we were just so broke all the time. Um, so, and my mom owned owned a house, but she had to rent out her house, and then she took the little bit of cash flow 
and she moved into a um, she moved in with a roommate in order to to save to save money, and she also started substitute teaching. So we were both fighting to try to keep this thing alive, and I had to go get a job, but I continued to help her out where I could with some technical issues because my mom at that point was probably like in her 50s or 60s. Um, she had run theaters for most of her career. She was a producer and she had two theaters in San Diego, California, where she would put on plays. Um, and so my mom, yeah, was living living really lean, doing some substitute teaching. I was doing substitute teaching. If you got a college degree, um, substitute teaching is a good way to get some side work because they just call you in the morning and if you have time, then you can go substitute teach or if you need a day to work on your business, you can do that. Um, so obviously this business model that we had in mind just wasn't going to cut anymore, cut it anymore because we, we couldn't build the volume. So we had to make a pretty hard decision. And I remember us talking about it on the phone and we both, I called my mom and my mom up and I said, mom, how you doing? How you doing, Adam? I said, um, I think we got to abandon, we're going to have to abandon this whole free plus advertising concept. I, I just, I don't see how we're going to get enough volume to make it work. And I remember she had a little bit of a, a little bit of a breakdown and she said, well, what are we going to do? This is our whole idea. And I said, we're going to have to figure out something else. And we started looking around at the way that people sold harassment training and they would always sell it by seat. You know, you pay 15 bucks a seat or 15 bucks a head. You sign up a hundred people at your organization then you're in for 1500 bucks and you just, you just sell it that way. And we had already gone pretty far down this other path. And since we had run out of money, it was either we had to stop doing what we were going to do, what we were, we had to either shut down the business or we had to change the business model. And um, we did that. And so we just started, um, what we started doing at that point is we started calling on distributors, people who were already selling harassment training into, into corporations. And we actually met one of our, one of our great friends and my business mentor in that way, because he was a guy who sold compliance products in the, in the companies. And so we had to switch, we had to switch up the business model. We did that. And my mom didn't go per seat. My mom had a unique business model where she would just sell you unlimited access to her courses for uh, 5,000 bucks a year or like a few hundred bucks a month or something like that. And that model started to work and we gave the distributors 50% of the sales and then also my mom started burning up DVDs. We took these videos that we had filmed and that we were previously giving away for free. We took the video files and we put them on DVDs and we had a website, but the distributors also started selling the DVDs in addition to this other um, type of pricing method. And um, slowly but surely, my mom, my mom started chipping away and making more money. And since my mom is so gritty, she for a long time was just taking that money, letting it, letting it accumulate, and then she was rolling it back into more content. And she became an expert content creator. I think on the podcast yesterday, she's created maybe, did she say she, she's done like two dozen? I think she's done two dozen videos now um, that now she's making available through these distributors. And she realized that the distributor model worked well because she doesn't like to sell. Um, she'll get on the phone and close, but she obviously she's not going to do prospecting and find leads and stuff. That's not her. And she also doesn't want to have to manage employees. So she's never been interested in building out a big organization. So she's just turned into this, this content creator and she's been pushing it out through these distributors and that that's worked really, really well. Now I could give you another example and this would be directly from one of the companies that I helped, that I helped turn around personally. 
In this particular case, they had this business model that was insane where they had two times they had insane business models. The first time, the president had this business model that they were going to show up in a market in force, set up an office, staff it out, get a general manager in that office, and then they were going to go out and try to start um, doing business in, in, in those markets. And he kept trying to carry that out for like eight months, and he was opening up all these offices and staffing them up, and he was just blowing through all this money to the point where they were losing 15 or 20,000, 15 or 20,000 bucks a month just in the red, and they blew through like a $500,000 loan in a couple of years um, because they, they were losing some money for quite some time, and then he started to accelerate it. Um, that's when I showed up. And so that was the business model that they were pursuing was – it's an insane business model, but open up offices. It was for them at least. Maybe it'll work for somebody else, but open up offices in a market, staff it up, go out, try to sell. But that, they never ended up selling. They just ended up opening the offices and being on the payroll. So that model had to be abandoned. But then, this is a traffic school that I'm talking about. Once we cut back all of the expenses, and just by cutting expenses, we got slightly into the black. We started looking around at all the markets. And we realized that in Arizona, um, traffic schools. So if you if you get a citation and you go to the, you go to a court, and they, they require you to take traffic school, um, what what they do is they send you they send you to the the like the Supreme Court of Arizona, and they got a list of all the traffic providers, traffic school providers in the state that you could choose from, and the list had I think. Uh, let's just say it had like a hundred names on it. And our client was one name. So there was this guy on staff who was really good at reading the regulations. And he started reading the regulations and we realized there was there would be nothing from stopping this company from opening up a whole bunch of DBAs and flooding the list. So that's they took their money and they started buying all of these licenses. The licenses were like five thousand bucks a pop. So with, you know, every month with the money that they were in the black, they started buying these licenses. So they took all this savings and then they reinvested it. They took all these the savings and they, they reinvested it into this other business model and into this niche. And then they started um, flooding the list. And I think over the next couple of years, they got themselves up. Like it just started compounding. You, you get another name on the list. So you double your presence. Right, but the list itself has only grown by one or two percent. So, like the, the overall list has only grown by one or two percent, but you've doubled your presence. So you can double your business um, by by just doing that. Uh, but they ended up getting like thirty-five names on the list, and other people caught on. But I think these guys ended up having like twenty-five percent of the list, from, up from one or up from maybe like one or two percent. They ended up having like twenty-five percent of the list, and that that model of flooding the list ended up doing really, really well for them for a few years. And um, that business model helped them turn around that business model change. So, and then I can tell you that the, the other time I saved that exact same company was they started to change the rules in Arizona that you couldn't flood the list. And then, um, so these guys decided to take the approach of um, hiring lobbyists so now their business model goes from just penetrating this list to spending a bunch of money lobbying the government 
to keep the list the way it was before, so they can keep working the same business model. And people started catching on to what, what they were doing, and the list started getting flooded terribly, and then the state decided they want to make some changes, and they started spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on, on lobbyists. And that, it, that crazily, almost, because they had hired all these people to service Arizona, and then it wasn't making any money anymore, and then they, all, they pretty much got themselves into the exact same problem where they were just staffing up and throwing money after this model that was not working. And again, we had to cut it all the way back, abandon this money draining model that had stopped working and go for a whole new model. And that was to refashion, refashion their curriculum that they were using to do driver training school and offer it to um, companies with big fleets like Fortune, Fortune 1000 companies that have huge fleets. And the thing that differentiated them from their competition is since they had been working with all these states, the states do efficacy studies. So now we have this company with proven methodology. So we could go to these other companies and say, look, the states have studied what we do. Proven methodology is a unique selling proposition. Um, and now they're, they're cleaning up. They've landed, I'm not allowed to say the names of who they train. Because I know that specifically there's a confidentiality agreement in place, but they've landed some of the biggest companies in the world to train their fleets, and they're having the best year ever right now. And they took they did a bunch of things that that we offered them, and one of the things that I helped them with that I could see was going to be needed because if you're going to be transitioning into fleet, that's going to require tons of travel and tons of logistics management. I helped them uh, recruit their current VP of operations. And that guy is 100% prime cut stud. <laughs> it's a funny way to describe a dude, you know, but I'm going to do that. Um, I remember the guy in Wedding Singer who used to describe what it was like, she's grade A beef, like terrible dude. Um, but when I do it and I'm talking about this VP of operations, it's cool, man. He's a 100% grade A prime choice stud and he's managing this whole thing. And the business, I think already year to date, they've like, tripled or quadrupled where they were last year. So they're starting to crush it and they're just getting started in this niche. And now all this money that they freed up from saving, they can start to pour into this niche, especially things with like, especially things with marketing and beefing up their infrastructure and logistics. So I've seen it a few times myself and then I'm not going to get into too many details with my most successful client, but he followed a similar path uh, before he was just selling one-off items and he was doing well, but then they switched over to doing, um, more like subscription-based items, and that, that gives them predictable revenue every single month. And switching that model and then taking a lot of the money and reinvesting it in coaching. He's huge into coaching. He does, he does strategic coach. He does strategic coach. He does the EOS system, the entrepreneur's operating system, and he reads, and he's a, he's a lifelong learner. So he took the money that he saved because he also leaned out his organization like a whole bunch of people, and then took the money, invested it, and then he changed his business model and then he's taken the money and he's invested in things like coaching and, and building out the structure of his business. And now he's just taking some money and he's building out a sales team and um, he's doing it like that. But in all of these cases, none of these people would have been able to achieve their dream. Now, in the case of my most successful client, his dream is to have a self-managed business so that he can travel and then so that also he can focus on the things where he's most valuable, which is being a visionary. So... All these companies ended up achieving their dreams 
But in order to bridge the gap, they had to totally abandon their original business model, which is what I'm doing as well. I have been a bookkeeping and accounting company. My initial growth plan was to just go out and sell as much bookkeeping and accounting as I can. I'm realizing that my margins are getting killed because we're bookkeeping is considered to be something like a commodity. I've had to build out infrastructure. I've had to hire more people in advance of my sales as I get ready to service. My margins are getting killed. I'm realizing my original model is not going to work and I'm switching it up and I'm going in for some different products and services that are higher margin, easier to scale and um, are value-based rather than charging based on the hour or based on a certain type, like a certain amount of work. It's more about let us base it on the results that we give you and if we do good, then you can pay us um, pay us a portion of that. So I'm changing up my business model too because I want to achieve my dreams. And my particular dream, like I said, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. I do want to make a bunch of money just so that I can pay my employees really well. And I would like to do some traveling and stuff, but my personal goals aren't to make a lot of money. But my number one goal in life is to be doing my highest value work all the time. And I genuinely believe that my highest value work is to convince business owners to go through this process that I'm telling you about, because when I calculated out what my value was per hour on that, I think my value that I added was something like, it could have been 50,000 bucks an hour. And if I could do that, then I want to only do that. And I want to help as many people as possible achieve success in their businesses. And I think that I can do that. And that's what I want to be all doing all the time. That's my dream. But if I don't change my business model, I'm not going to achieve that dream. All right, gang, that's it. I'm going to wrap it up and shut it down. And I'm going to do like Dave Chappelle said, I'm going to zip it up and zip it out. I thank you for taking the time to listen to the podcast. And I will be back tomorrow with some topic that I hope that you will find interesting. Have a great day. Signing off.